0: I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins. And you're listening to Biz Talks, a weekly conversation with local business leaders
1: about topics affecting New Orleans and Southeast Louisiana.
0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. I'm Kim Singletary. I'm the editor of Biz New Orleans magazine. And today I'm super excited because we get to talk about good news. Um, getting January 2024 off to a good start. Um, my guest today, we actually, he wrote a piece for us um, a little while back, and it became very, very popular online, e- enough that in January, our issue, uh, starting off the year, we wanted to republish it. And it is basically focused on the fact that the New Orleans is not doomed, um, and that there are so many good things that are going on here, and so much uh positivity that we need to be focused on that moving forward and so just a really good way to start out the new year so um welcome frank rabelais
1: thank you thank you kim thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be on the podcast
0: so you are by day uh a director at crescent growth capital so you are a tax credit consultant and you also focus on um uh historic properties right
1: correct yes historic preservation specifically this this country is almost alone in the world i believe in that it actually has built into the tax code incentives to reuse historic buildings other countries might protect historic buildings forbid their demolition etc but the united states has a very robust program of incentivizing developers to reuse Historic buildings. And then in Louisiana and in many other US states, actually, states have passed um, state historic tax credit programs that piggyback atop the federal program. So there is, practically speaking, in many states, um, an incredible financial incentive to, in my mind, do the right thing. We use these magnificent historic buildings, uh, the likes of which just aren't built in anymore nowadays.
0: It's funny that you say that because I had family come down, a, a Canadian family, and um, they came down when we were living in Omaha, Nebraska, and they were blown away by our downtown because of all the old, old buildings. And you could see the the old advertisements that were painted on the brick and things like that. And um, that doesn't exist as much up in our neighbors to the north because, like you said, they don't have that kind of um, credits involved and that kind of incentive to keep those old buildings.
1: It doesn't it doesn't, you know, and that's that's that uh, I came to that realization in the wake of graduating from college. so this was this was a little while ago. <laughs> it was a few years ago now. Uh, but I began to realize the degree to which New Orleans had this incredible built environment, this historic built environment. so that's distinct from the natural environment when when people like me speak of the built environment, we're talking about kind of the accretion of um Historic neighborhoods, historic downtowns, and historic architecture over time. And the scale of that in New Orleans is almost unparalleled um, in the nation, honestly. I'm pretty sure there are, you know, maybe half a dozen other cities in this country that possess um, the amount of historic fabric that this city possesses. We're incredibly, incredibly blessed um, in that regard. You just have to go to pretty much any other city in the country. And again, with just a few exceptions, we are we are top rank. We are top rank that way.
0: That's one of my favorite views is being downtown in the quarter. And you can look straight down the street and you can see all the historic buildings and all the wrought iron and just all the cool stuff. And then you look and you can see the modern buildings. Yes,
1: yes. I know that view down Royal Street where you get a view of of the Placé St. Charles building rising 50 stories as a terminating vista. Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. And that, of course, historically has always been the site of prominent buildings. That was the site of the St. Charles Hotel starting in the 1830s. Um, So for generations now, New Orleanians have been able to look down Royal Street and see something grand, something incredible at that at that exact site
0: it's, it's so, anyhow so we're, yeah we're getting all over the place here but
1: <laughs> that's easy it's that's so easy totally with me easy. you invited me on the podcast <laughs> i know i
0: know that's totally me um uh so but it's all in the same vein and that we're both talking about these are things that are unique to new orleans and we all know that living here we know the things that are unique to us good and bad um but what struck me on this piece is so you're you're a native, right? You're from Gentilly.
1: I am. Yes, born and okay. raised in Gentilly.
0: But you were telling me before we started recording that this has been this kind of being bullish about New Orleans has been a thing for you since you were really little.
1: It has been. It has been and I and I don't know exactly what caused it. It might have been my noticing this disconnect between maybe what I observed versus what I heard. So there's, I have no real memory. I have no real memory of encountering widespread optimism about the city of New Orleans or about greater New Orleans. That just never happened. And it always struck me that we were in a headspace of putting ourselves down, comparing ourselves negatively to the boom towns of the New South, places like Dallas and Atlanta. And um, it was quite striking. It was quite striking. And I guess another formative episode was I was about, I was um, 10 years old, 10, 11 years old, when the oil bust hit, which really was this Mm. economic holocaust that has, that has kind of been forgotten in the region today. I think because Katrina overrode it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, the calamity of Katrina um, really, Really exceeded the, the the calamity of the oil bust. But when I was a child, this economic holocaust—I I don't think that's an exaggeration to say that—swept through the region, and the city lost tens of thousands of residents. The region lost, you know, easily hundred thousand residents. And our our growth, our economic growth as a region, which had been it, it had been coming along, we, we'd registered pretty ro- robust economic growth in the two decades leading up to say 1980. yeah, And in the mid 1980s, that just ground to a halt. Um, so that was, so I was coming of age, I was becoming more aware of things in the mid 1980s, the late 1980s, um, the 84 World's Fair was a watershed as well. It was something that was kind of an embarrassment, although very quickly, um, the region realized, the city and region realized that though it hadn't succeeded financially, it had succeeded in catalyzing the redevelopment of what we now call the warehouse district. So so all of these things were happening as I was coming of age and um, I've just been fascinated by the subject ever since.
0: Well, so in your piece, well, there's a lot of different things that you talk about and you talk about our, our wins on the education side of things. Um, Post Katrina and and being a parent of two kids, I'm very aware of that. Um, our most recent wins, um, as far as early childhood um, care, we didn't have any money put aside as of five years ago that we were as a state giving to early childhood, and now we're among the top, which is yeah, awesome. um, yeah. But you got yeah, into- I, yeah go I, ahead. I don't
1: I don't know why these aren't trumpeted. These are fundamental these yeah. are fundamental to a region's success and again growing up from the time i was little i'd heard the refrain you know we will get nowhere until our educational system gets better
0: yes
1: well we've succeeded <laughs> you know our educational system is functioning it is effective the the children that uh, they are now being educated in modern facilities i mean I remember in the late 1990s, the superintendent of the Orleans Parish public school system in what was you know, thought to be a very manful move, he turned off the air conditioning in his office because he said, I'm not going to run the air conditioning in my office until all of the students in this system are being educated in air conditioned classrooms. So as recently as the late 1990s, you had thousands of children in Orleans Parish who were not being educated in in air conditioned surroundings, you know, mind boggling. Fast forward to today, and you have a system where the number of schools that are educating children to the standard expected by the state, that is the majority of schools. That was not the case 25 years ago. The number of options for parents like myself, uh, you know, they've quintupled, quadrupled, This one app application process, what they now call um, Enroll NOLA, the Enroll NOLA process, it functions incredibly well. I signed up my kids for the Enroll NOLA um, application, and they were placed in the number two school that I picked and the number three school that I picked. And my daughter, I actually have three children, but I have kind of like a barbell (laughs) parenting situation going on. I have a a 20 year old daughter now enrolled at Loyola University and then two young boys. Um, So my daughter actually attended what is now the Willow School, had an incredible experience. This was a lot harder 25 years ago. And to be able to, to tell the nation, to be able to propound a narrative where if you move to Orleans Parish, You can live anywhere within Orleans Parish and have a choice of any of the public schools. That is unlike most other places in the country. Most other places in the country, you're trying to strike this balance of locating a school district in an area that is relatively affordable, perhaps a a, a zoned elementary school that you can send your children to in a neighborhood that you can afford, it is incredibly difficult to find that right fit. And then if for some reason, if for some reason your child doesn't thrive at this purportedly good public elementary school, you have no other options. There are no other public schools that you can attend or that your children can attend unless you move. That's not true in Orleans Parish. And I have friends who have started their children at some schools and been able to switch schools without having to move and have located an educational environment that's appropriate for their children. Because I think we all recognize that children thrive in different environments. A good school for one child may not be a good school for another child. And the, the incredible options that we now possess within Orleans Parish, they really should be, if not at the very top of the pitch, that we're making to potential inhabitants of the region, not far from the top, because it is unique in the nation and it is new. This has only been true for the last, you know, post Katrina basically. And I myself have even been able to get involved as a leader in public school governance because I was a board member of Crescent City Schools for, oh, I'm gonna say about six years. It's been I, I got off the board a couple of years ago but to be able to participate meaningfully in crafting policy and then as a neighborhood leader in the Gentilly Terrace neighborhood to participate in the attraction of a good operator in attracting a good operator to our neighborhood public school, Gentilly Terrace Elementary School, which is now operated by Audubon Charter School, that very respected um, charter school operation, which is operated on Broadway uptown for decades and decades, even before Katrina, it was a well-regarded public school, Audubon Montessori. So, for me, just I, you know, I I don't have power. I'm not a blue blood. I, I I'm not massively wealthy. The ability for someone like me to inject himself or herself into the process and participate as a board member, so in school governance, and participate in attracting a good public school to my neighborhood. Where else can you do that in this country? You know, can you go to suburban Dallas and and purchase a house and have the opportunity to attract a good public school to within walking distance of your house? Is that possible? I don't know that it is. And we don't tell that story enough. Mm -hmm. We don't celebrate that in our region and within the city as we should, I believe.
0: Yeah, I was just. I'm a, a member of Norley this year. Um, the the leadership uh, class going on, and we mm-hmm. just had our education um day, and I I was talking to people, and I said, you know, with us, because there's there's a lot of room for improvement still. Um, which is you know actually the case everywhere. Um, yes. But I said, you know what? When we looked a couple of years ago during the pandemic. We looked at are we gonna stay or are we gonna go? Because we're not from here. Right. We looked at it and we said, you know, our daughter, our eldest daughter is going to lycée français de la nouvelle. Mm -hmm. So she has a French immersion education opportunity where that she's been doing. And this the new high school just opened up, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um and she historic
1: tax credits utilized. Yes, there you go.
0: Tax credit, It all <laughs> comes back around. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: but she has the opportunity to go to the only free French high school in the country. Yeah. Uh, this is it. This only here, yeah. here in New Orleans. When we started her in kindergarten, um, we had somebody come and they said, you know, we have these lycee schools all over the country. And in San Francisco, to put your kid in as a kindergartner is about $35,000 a year.
1: <laughs> right, that's if right.
0: You guys are getting this for free and you are the only ones that are getting this for free because of the charter school system that happens. Yeah, so yeah. we. I mean,
1: in, in an increasingly globalized world, the, yes. the opportunity that the school system that the New Orleans public school system offers its residents is almost unmatched in that regard. And I think it hit home for me when I first learned, this was a while ago now, maybe seven, eight years ago, I first learned what the International School of Louisiana offers. Now they have, they have three campuses and they're a, they're, a sort, they're a type of charter school um, that allows for the enrollment of students throughout the state. So what that means practically is that you don't even need to live in Orleans Parish, you can live in Jefferson Parish, you can live in St. Bernard Parish, and still send your kids to the International School of Louisiana. So that's good, Uh, free schooling, and then their curriculum was really striking. So you, you start your kid in kindergarten at one of these schools, and you pick a language that they're going to be immersed in, French or Spanish, so you pick French or Spanish. Um, So they're taught entirely in that language, apart from English class. And then in middle school, they introduce a non-Western language, Mandarin, Chinese, Japanese. So imagine you're entering high school potentially, and you're fluent in a major Western language, you're fluent in your mother tongue, obviously in English, and you also have competence, real competence in a non-Western language. So where else in this country do public schools offer this?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the amount that we've come in such a short period of time is is pretty amazing. Um, and that's kind of a, a a theme that runs throughout the piece that you wrote is that what's happened since Katrina has been pretty amazing. I mean, when you look at, I, I wasn't here for Katrina and I, I, but you see all the, you know, <laughs> even if you weren't, um, you see all the images and things like that. and. It's the amount that the fact that we could come back at all was amazing after looking at that. And then to come back stronger in all these different ways. And you had talked about not only education, but um, private investment, advanced manufacturing. um, The rebound has been pretty amazing. And I I, I think we lose sight of that.
1: Yes, I think we do. You know, the rebound has been amazing. And. Um, I mean, if you would have told me in the 1990s that we'd have, you know, nonstop flights to Europe and um, and a and, and and a startup that didn't exist at that point would be sold for over what? I Lucid was sold for over one billion dollars. I think would be sold for one billion dollars. A company that didn't exist yeah. at the time Katrina hit New Orleans was just some idea. Uh, just kind of the twinkle in the eye of of its founder um, would would turn around and be worth over a billion dollars I I don't know that I would have believed you and and I think that I think that a lot of the progress that has happened since Katrina I think the seeds uh, of that progress were sown long before Um, I think the oil bust was cataclysmic and I think it did force the region to start to think about how else to uh to generate economic growth obviously we pivoted hard in the immediate post oil bust period to hospitality and tourism but that but that sector is it's it's not it's it's not this this gargantuan share of our economy like we make it out to be for some reason i i hear repeatedly that, um, oh, well, we don't really have anything going for our region apart from tourism and hospitality. I hear business leaders say that, people that are realizing investments along places uh, like Canal Street downtown and elsewhere. And, and it's it's not fair. really true. It's not right, really true. true. It's like one in seven jobs There's in the jobs. region right. is tourism or hospitality. It's not like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a leading economic sector in our region, it is not the leading sector in our region. Um, so the creation of, of, of entities like GNO Inc, which was created just on the eve of Katrina, they're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, um, standing up an entity whose job is to sell our region nationwide, that that really hadn't occurred. We obviously didn't do a very good job, I don't think, of selling our region in the years leading up to Katrina. And standing up an entity like GNO Inc to sell our region's real attributes to the nation and the larger world, that's, that's a huge accomplishment. And I think we're finally beginning to see some fruits from that effort. But that takes time. That takes time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, honestly, in reading your piece, it, it made me think I've heard this before. And it, it, was, um, it was Quentin Messer um, with NOLA business Alliance back in 2016, we did a piece with him and, you know, this was before, you know, obviously all the, all the IDA and the insurance stuff and uh, all this, all the stuff that we've been dealing with the past few years. Right. But he was talking about how we have an image problem and it's not just with other people. Um, it it's, it's here, we, we have a problem where he has said, and I, I pulled it out here, if you talk to a Texan on a flight, he said, you're going to hear about how wonderful their little part of Texas is. There's something for us to learn about that. If you talk to a New Yorker and you say, is there any other place in the world, they would respond no, and there are no caveats. And we have to have mm-hmm. that kind of view. There's no buts, there's no qualifiers. He said companies are attracted to cities that have a little swag and confidence.
1: Yes, yes, that's exactly correct. And he's not the only one to have made that realization. That's very well put. Um, Many others have recognized that. I certainly myself believe that. And we have this very negative self-talk. It's ingrained within our region. One of the, I think the best example that I can provide Of that um, right now is that when I was, um, I was, (laughs) this was in the late 90s. So, years and years ago, I parked my car beside the road. And um, upon returning to it, some other car had driven a bit too close to my car and sheared off the side view mirror. So, you know, I was kind of put out by that. That's not a fun experience. So, I drove back, I drove back to my parents' house and I was explaining to my parents' neighbor what had just happened? And her response was, ah, oh, only in New Orleans. <laughs> you know, and then I thought to myself, really? You know, only in New Orleans are there, you know, careless drivers who might shear off your side view mirror? Yeah, no, clearly not, <laughs> clearly not. Yet this immediate pivot to, oh yes, this typifies how dysfunctional we are. This 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 belief, you know, it, it's so ingrained, and it it also was behind an an uh, effort um, uh, on the part of the Young Leadership Council in the nineteen nineties that that many many locals will remember. They they launched this effort, in New Orleans, proud to call it home.
0: Yes, yeah, I was just thinking about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, and, and I remember a full page newspaper ad. I guess it was in the Times-Picayune back then that said something like negative talk hurts the city. Talk up the city instead, you know? And, and this was at a time when I think we, we had more problems. We'd made far less headway than we have now. Um, so to be in a place now where some residents seem to be, where they're even less optimistic about the city and region than they were maybe 20 years ago, it just doesn't square with reality. Um, and, it, and it speaks to the power of, of master narratives of, and, and of sentiment and morale, region-wide sentiment and region-wide morale that becomes entrenched and is really only, uh, almost passed on from generation to generation. Um, we have it here. And I suppose it's present in other cities that, whose relative importance was greater in the past than today. Maybe cities like Buffalo, Birmingham, Memphis, uh, Cleveland—places that were incredibly consequential a hundred years ago, but which nowadays really aren't. Maybe, maybe they have that same feeling there. Pittsburgh, potentially, uh, places like that. So, so again, we're probably not alone in feeling this way, um, but it is—it's strongly ingrained here, and it's it's deeply counterproductive. I I, I love Quentin's telling the story of sitting next to somebody on a flight and he's absolutely right he is absolutely right I've never heard a Texan say a bad thing about Texas
0: <laughs> yeah which is kind of amazing because yeah. I mean, you talk to people here and they'll, they'll tell you, about, <laughs> they'll tell yeah. you about, about Texas yeah but yeah, um, I mean I,
1: I was on a business trip to Dallas last year and ooh, I don't know <laughs> uh, I mean you know so, so much economic growth in this nation it's kind of like it's kind of like Walmart opening a new Walmart, but then Caddy Corner from the new Walmart is the old shuttered Walmart. <laughs> so th- this this nation loves to build new instead of reinvesting in already established places. It, at Walgreens, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, there's a nice new Walgreens around the corner. And there's the old Walgreens, which is now shut down. Or the old Walmart, which is now, you know, graffiti scrawled, or maybe it's a church. Some, it, it's, Maybe it's found some sort of use. But, um, but again, our nation just loves to kind of move on. Uh, slash and burn agriculture. That kind of typifies our mode of economic development. You know, we'll cut down all the trees, we'll harvest one crop um, and that one crop can be, you know, a couple generations for a city, but then it's on to the next new boomtown, on to the next new city. There are not many cities in this country which have thrived economically for 200 years consistently.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, uh, but I think as a narrative, and I think that's something that I'm proud to do with Biz. It is, is really focus on well, what's being done. Who are the yes. who's because there are and it's there's some amazing stories to tell of people, not only you know locals, but people who are attracted here from other areas of the country and even world because it's a city unlike anywhere else. And
1: agreed, agreed, awesome. and that. That's our sweet spot now, potentially. For the first time in our city's history, we appear to have arrived at a place, this nation appears to have arrived at a place where some critical mass of individuals really values what New Orleans offers. That's what's different now versus what prevailed in, say, 1960.
0: Yeah, they have, you have people coming here because. They want a unique cultural experience, and, and that that drove us here. Is that we wanted, ideally, we wanted to live out of the country, but it, we wanted to be close enough to family and stuff because we were having little ones, and so we right. thought, where, where can we go where we can have a really truly unique experience? And because right. we're from out of Omaha, Nebraska for seven
1: years, so- <laughs> right, <laughs> right.
0: We like that. We love to travel. We like to see other cultures and. The learning curve here, when you move here is pretty steep. I've lived in a lot of different places <laughs> and it is the, the language, um, the, just the way everything operates, everything. Mm-hmm. I, I had so many questions when we showed up, I was seeing, we we came in on a Mardi Gras time in February and I was seeing ladders on the streets. I didn't understand. I was hearing <laughs> language. I, I couldn't understand the, the food, everything. <laughs> it was like moving to another country and yeah. that's really unique. Now you, you go anywhere yeah. else. And we had, we had a friend come here from Minneapolis one of my husband's friends and he was like, Oh, you know, I don't like new Orleans. It's sturdy and it's whatever. And he said, great, go back to the strip malls that you're from, you know, and, <laughs> right. and it'll, be, it'll be cleaner and safer, but you live in a strip mall. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, okay. these, there, was a, there was an author, James Howard Kunstler, um, who wrote a very good book called Geography of Nowhere in the 1990s, which was really this tirade against um, the American built environment as it has developed in, in recent decades. And, you know, it is elsewhere is almost, almost without fail, the geography of nowhere. You get there and you're like where am i you know that i'm 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 standing outside this power center this retail power center in the dfw metroplex or maybe it's suburban atlanta or maybe i'm in nashville i mean there's really no is this austin or you know it's there's really there's no authenticity to the environment whatsoever and as i was kind of referencing earlier with by mentioning walmart these these projects that are being constructed If you could fast forward 25 years from now and just take a look at them, the chances of there still being attractive, functioning, prosperous environments is pretty minimal. You you take any given power center and skip forward 25 years and you've got what used to be uh, a very successful retail environment, but is no longer because investment has moved on. It's moved elsewhere. Um, so those cities that that have more than that to offer can not only offer a more authentic place for people to live, something with meaning, uh, some place that really allows for roots to develop, but also is more welcoming or is is more easily receives reinvestment because people discern its value, a place that, which p- possesses obvious value. I think has a far better chance of receiving the reinvestment that is necessary for any place and I think a place like New Orleans um, is far likelier to get it. if we can address admittedly the challenges that our region still possesses, um, you know, the, 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 the challenge of climate change,' its, its, its consequent impact on insurance markets, the continuing need for a public safety environment that that is secure, um, the continuing need for better administration on the part of city government. All of these things, I, I'm, I'm not denying that that we struggle with them. But again, I think we've made enormous progress in the past few decades. And when you set that alongside our intrinsic strengths, that to me means that the likelihood of our region um, succeeding in coming decades is 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 real. It's very good.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I I think it's it's pretty incredible when 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 people come here, when people come to visit us, they see they see a culture, they see a way of life that they don't see anywhere else. and it's no. pretty amazing. And we've attracted yeah. some some great diversification. We've got um you know, gaming, we've got you know a technology that's where we've got a really strong, Um, educational system we have what two medical schools plus we've got I think Xavier starting another one
1: Xavier starting a third yeah when when thinkers like Richard Florida began to talk about the creative class about 25 years ago I I'm certain I'm not the only one that thought well New Orleans is perfect for the creative class. I mean, we're, we're overflowing with creativity. Yes. We have this folk culture that embraces creativity in a way that really no other American city does as far as I know.
0: Oh yeah, you, know, you guys in, in, keep Austin yeah. weird, right? Anybody who's been to Austin from New Orleans is like, <laughs> okay, sit down. Yeah.
1: This place is not weird. (laughs) It might be weird for Texas. (laughs) Right. Exactly. It might be weird for Texas, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's incredible. And maybe that is where um, our relative size is advantageous now too. You know, so many characteristics of New Orleans, which were disadvantageous in decades past um, are now perhaps advantageous. Um, So even our, even our relative smallness means that we don't need to attract hundreds of thousands of new residents to move the dial, you know, simply shifting sh- shifting movements so that we're attracting 10,000 new residents to our region a year, which I think is completely doable. I, I think, I mean, we may already be attracting 10,000 new inhabitants to our region a year, but in the wash, we're also losing residents, and so um, in the aggregate, that's not necessarily um, gaining population. If we can get to a place where we're gaining um, population, then, I mean, it, it doesn't take millions of people moving here to make a difference. We aren't so big that a regular sustained influx of ten to 20,000 new residents a year can't move the dial and get the city decisively on a positive trajectory.
0: Let's talk about a little bit about that investment because I think you said in your piece you're like yeah but a lot of people say well we've got to, we got to do a better job attracting investment and attract, attracting companies here and in your piece you were like no we're we're doing a pretty great job for that.
1: Yeah yeah I mean. Again, a lot of this flows from post Katrina reforms, so in the pre Katrina era, for instance, um, any any investment in New Orleans's historic core was incredibly difficult because we had a zoning code that dated to 1969 that was designed along the principles that prevailed in the post World War II period, where you had potted development, you had single family residences here, and you had apartments over here, and then retail was in this third location, and then uh, commercial office was in this fourth location, and they weren't supposed to mingle, and of course that was completely at odds with the way that cities had functioned really for centuries. And certainly at odds with the way that New Orleans historically had functioned. So if you were an investor, and if you wanted to reopen a restaurant in the heart of a neighborhood within a building, which had manifestly been at some time in the past, a grocery store or a barber shop, um, you know, it was extremely difficult. You had to move heaven and earth. Fast forward to today, we have a modern zoning code, um, which came into being, I think, around 2014. 2014 or 2015 is when our our current comprehensive zoning ordinance was passed. It built upon the work that had been done in the run-up to the establishment of the new CZO um, that came in the form of this master plan, the city's first master plan, given the force of law by the voters. In essence, the visioning and the practical regulation that flowed from these efforts made it easier for private enterprise to just step up and start doing what it does best and to reinforce, crucially, to reinforce those characteristics of the historic built environment of New Orleans, which makes New Orleans so beloved, which adds to its authenticity and which brings more residents into the city. So that's just one example, that's one change of how kind of the regulatory framework of government has been improved and streamlined um, such that private enterprise begins to come in and begins to, to, to prosper more readily. And you you just have to look around the historic core of the city and think back to what Ferret Street looked like 25 years ago, what, Oak Street looked like 25 years ago, what Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard looked like 25 years ago. I mean, these were what St. Claude Avenue looked like, what Bayou Road looked like. These were commercial corridors that were just dying on the vine. Um, and they, <laughs> there's been incredible investment. And it's, it's the sort of small investment, it's that kind of small grained investment, which is so often I think more durable even than attracting these these elephants than kind of these giant uh giant wins on the economic development front though we've had several of those as well
0: yeah it's I mean i I just constantly when i hear about it i i think like we talked about before I, i came from southern california and i hear from people like oh you're from san diego it's like oh well why would you ever move from san diego you know and (laughs)
1: but, <laughs> right new well, orleanians asking you that probably
0: right and i'm like but you don't know like you don't know it's it's so ridiculous to live there it, the traffic that you would sit through is unbelievable their insurances holy cow they've got everything but locusts i mean they've got <laughs> they, they have flooding they have droughts they have wildfires uh, the wildfires i've evacuated personally from two wildfires in the in the, in the time that i lived there like it's there is everything there, but when you talk to people who live there, they will tell you they live in paradise mm-hmm. and, and it's it's so interesting to me that that there is that that mentality and they will tell everyone that you know, oh yeah, you know we live here or whatever. but if you really dig deep, you know most of the people I grew up with don't live there anymore because they can't yeah
1: live yeah, oh. yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it's it's paradoxical. Um, it's, it's worth repeating again and again, the numerous fundamental wins that have occurred in our region since Katrina. And of course, there's that kind of bulleted list in my op-ed that you all published that attempts to recite some of them. But when you think in terms of, um, for instance, the fact that total employment counts in the region have surpassed their pre-pandemic peak. So how many people listening today realize that greater New Orleans, the metropolitan area has more people employed now than it did in January of 2020. I'm not sure that people realize that. And then you, you have all, all of these accomplishments accumulate. So yes, people know that there's a $14 billion storm surge uh, protection perimeter around the region, that's significant. What other cities have that? Does Miami have that? Does Tampa?
0: Well, this and, Houston?
1: What's,
0: and what's interesting is, too, I'm hearing about that. And then I'm hearing, like, why don't our rates reflect that? Why we have all yes. that didn't exist and it's been proven and it, it went through Ida and it protected us. And we have a lot of stuff, a lot of infrastructure that doesn't exist in other places. And yet our rates for the, for our insurance are not reflecting that.
1: Well, I think we're just beginning the work, the hard work to get underwriters to recognize that, you know, underwriters are people too. They probably above all believe that, you know, all of new Orleans is below sea level. (laughs) That's, that's not true. And they probably like all people, they, they have this memory of Katrina in their minds. And of course they can set data alongside this sentiment so they can, they can look at historic loss and see that, oh yeah, you know, in 2005, this region suffered 25 billion dollars of losses, say, um, but no, it's 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 a process of education, and it's 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 not it's not their job to offer us lower insurance rates or reasonable insurance rates. We have to advocate for it, and that's why the existence of entities like GNO Inc. is so vital, it's so important because that they also do that. That is also part of their job to advance public policy regionally and to make the case nationally for the, 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 the more nuanced insurance underwriting that truly does reflect the incredible gains we've made.
0: Thanks for listening. That was part one of Kim's conversation with Frank Rabelais, Hear the second half of this interview next week on BizTalks.